My next guest probably needs no introduction, but just in case, Robert Diltz is the creator of Sleight of Mouth. He's been a NLP person since the very beginning. He is, in fact, the author of NLP Volume 1, along with others as well. He uh, is a co-developer of NLP and responsible for so much stuff. It's thrilling to have him here, so let's admit him from the waiting room. Here we go, Robert Diltz. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. How are you? Good. Good. Back, back home and where are you? Are you in France or are you in Well, where? this is California. I'm in California. Santa Cruz. Yeah. That's the California office. Yeah. California office. Does this feel like home or is is Paris take they, they both feel like home. You okay. Know? Yeah, my wife and I for a long time have thought, you know, which one is more home and they're kind of both there. She's she's American, but has lived in France for 40 years. So, yeah. So her, you know, she has a lot more roots in some right. ways there. Yeah. But yeah. We, both, we both, you know, enjoy it. We both love it. So. Yeah, well, what's not to love? So thank you for being here. Um, awesome to see you again. How was your travels? You've been all over the place recently, have you not? Yeah, yeah, I was, I, I was in, uh, well, I got back from Tokyo a couple of weeks ago and then was in uh, France before that, but then was well, going around to Italy and to Holland. So kind of getting back on the, on the road post-COVID. Yeah, exactly live trainings again what a what a concept yes. was it weird yes. to get back into doing live trainings not necessarily um no you know it's yeah it's uh, actually um the one that i did in tokyo was a hybrid though so some people were physically there and some people were on zoom which oh was, i see which was I see. yeah got it but um no, you know, it's not, it's not weird. It's just re-getting yeah. re back into the, yeah. uh, the rhythm. Got it. Yeah, I, I did a, a live seminar just over the weekend. It was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of like that feeling. Like, okay, yeah, I, I get, I got this. I, yeah. You know, and it's, um. Yeah, I mean the stuff. There's stuff that's in the muscle. Let's say. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. Well, um, we are here for a very particular purpose to uh, help raise money for Mary Lou CV and of course Jerry, who's the one who should be spending it on. But I don't know who it's yeah. for. It's for the both of them. But um, we're here just to do that. And so we can talk about anything at all. You can. I know. I read something where you were playing, you played guitar back in the day, like when you yeah. first went to Santa Cruz, do you, do you used to play? Uh, a little bit. Do, but, you have, you know. do you have a guitar ready? Are you ready to do a song? Or, or <laughs> no, 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm not that. You could, you no, could just do air, air guitar if you want, air guitar, air guitar, or air ukulele or whatever, air violin. No, my, my, my piano is, is much more brushed up than my guitar, but I don't have a piano. Oh. I can try to play. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think we could probably do something much more interesting than listen to my guitar. <laughs> well, it depends on your definition of interesting, but sure, we can talk about stuff. Um, so yeah, tell me about. I know you, I know you had yeah David and Judy and. Uh, well, I haven't had Judy yet. I haven't heard back from her. We haven't had Judy. So if you if you can put in a word for me, I'd appreciate that. Okay. Have you been? Have you? Do you have a way of getting in touch with her? Have I you... just have an old email address that, if it works, she ignored me. Let's put it that way. Uh huh. So um, well, it might not be. Uh, um, her, I believe the one that works now is JN. Don't, don't say it! Don't say it! Don't say it! Um, you can tell me privately. Okay, okay. <laughs> we, right. don't, we don't necessarily want to put that out into. Okay. If, yeah, I mean, you, if it's okay to go ahead, but I'm just saying, up to okay. you. No, no, we can. We, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put it in the chat. Actually, <laughs> okay, that that's that'd be good. And, and if you have another way of getting hold of um, Chris Halbum and uh, Tim Halbum, I've been trying to get hold of them. Well, why don't I, then I'll just send you the, all their emails. Good, good. So we can yeah. get them. But meanwhile, I'll, I'll... let's talk about NLP and um, and about juicy things that maybe nobody's ever heard of before. Okay. I, I've, I've heard some really good stories. That you've told some really good stories over a few beers here and there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> about, about, about the early days of NLP. What about this this Richard Bandler fellow? Do you got any good Richard stories? Oh, I mean, there's plenty of good Richard stories. Um, you know, uh, I remember you told a story once about being in a bar with him, and he uh, yes. got in some kind of of fight or something well yeah i mean it was more the the interesting thing about that was that um the kind of a it was it was not so much about richard per se we but you know we oftentimes when we would have meetings uh we like to meet in unusual places and so like uh this was this biker bar and uh and you know it's i, I would be you know, very out of place in a biker bar. <laughs> so, and uh, anyway, I was, I was Richard was to my right, and we were talking, and these two guys came up, and you know, like big guys, and started calling us, you know, homosexuals and queers, and to get out of there. And of course, we're beginning with it was just trying to ignore them, and they got you know kind of louder and was bumping my arm and. So, you know, got turned my smile to them and they're like, you know, don't look at me, you know, don't smile at me, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, the kind of this thing of, you know, if you, you know, look at me while I'm talking to you, don't look at me, you know, da, 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 da. And so finally I was kind of just, you know, sort of, that was, and actually that was kind of interesting with my own response because uh, in the beginning um, I was, um, you know, kind of it was noticing, you know, this kind of feeling of, you know, you talking to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Finally, I, I don't think that's going to end up well. 
<laughs> but anyway, I, well, I kind of just I finally got back into you know sort of my coach state, if you will, you know, my uh, a resort, more resourceful state. And I kind of you know took a soft focus, so it wouldn't be you know like a uh, you say you know any anything provocative. But I said, hey, you know, look. Um, you know, look, I'm wearing a wedding ring. You know, I don't really think that you think I'm a homosexual. I think, you know, that there's, you have some other intention, you know, like, so I was like going for the positive intention. And of course- so you uh, asked the spiker guy, what is your positive intention for this? Yeah, and, you know, I said, I think you have, I think, yeah, you have a different intention, you know. <laughs> they, so uh, <clears throat> one of the guys who was kind of the brains of the bunch said, yeah, you know, we want to fight. <laughs> I saying, yeah, well, I get that, but it's not going to be very much of a fight because, you know, you know, there's two of you, there's one of me, I don't want to fight. So, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's not going to be very much of a fight. And then when the other guy goes, well, you know, it's a fair, it'll be a fair fight. We're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, right. <laughs> actually, I had a little bit of, in some ways kind of started to get some empathy for these guys. And I said, well, you know, get that, but wouldn't that be kind of like, you know, a father coming home and beating the, you know, getting drunk and beating the heck out of his kid and saying it's a fair because he's drunk, you know, because I knew probably both of those guys had probably, their fathers probably did that. And it was kind of interesting because they, they didn't know where to go with that. You know? Yeah. Cool. Um, so a little, so, little, little um, metaphor, pattern from sleight of mouth isn't it yeah it's, it's, it's a sleight of mouth and uh anyway um the uh according to richard you know then i was eliciting their submodalities <laughs> for how they get me or the but i wasn't really and actually they they kind of didn't really know what to do and then some someone else came in and according to richard he he suggested that they, if they wanted to fight they should go out and fight each other <laughs> so, but I, I don't remember. We'll referee. What I do somebody else kind of came up and they started hassling this other person. I think he took them outside and, and, and did beat them both up somehow. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was interesting, you know, that kind of, you know, when you, for me, is that realization um, that um, people that are doing that are probably very wounded people, you know, mm. and so to have some kind of compassion for their wound is actually, you know, it's more like the Aikido aspect, if you see what I mean, you know, rather yeah, than yeah. You know, rather than just be, you know, whatever, you know, angry about it or upset about it. It's like, oh, these guys would be great actually if they could get some, you know, some kind of support. NLP would probably be really useful for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that is, is a really interesting point of view, though, because I have found in my own use of NLP and sleight of mouth over the years that if I'm in a situation where somebody's like being a, oh, I was about to say being a dick, but I shouldn't say that out loud, but being, <laughs> being a pain in the, yeah, being provocative in that way, um, and 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 triggering me in a way that I um, respond like I used to maybe in high school or something, that I don't necessarily um, get access to my best stuff. 
That's just right. that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the sort of the the whole state dependent aspect, you know, and, and the you know the quote, quote coach state versus crash state, you know. And, right. In a in a you know we like to say you know when you're in a a resourceful state, you know, coach, which is the acronym for centered, open, alert, connected, and you know able to hold what's happening, then you know, you are, you know, in your connection with your resources, then what you think is magic, what you say is magic, what you do is magic. You know, when you're in a crash state, which is, you know, the contracted, reactive, you know, analysis, paralysis, separated and hostile, then what you think makes no difference, what you say makes no difference, what you do makes no difference. I mean, so every NLP technique, you know, works when you're in a resourceful state. None of them work when you're in, or not none of them, but fewer and fewer work as you go more and more into this kind of crash state. And so I think that's the key, as you were saying, that if you are being confronted, always the first thing is, okay, before I start doing any technique, I've got to first get into the, you know, get my filters, if you will, huh. into a generative state or into a resourceful state. Yeah, I think, I think that's the that's a that's the message and you know i'm thinking about you know for for what jerry's going through you know that being able to kind of get into a healing a healing state is going to be really you know really important and to kind of have practices that allow us to kind of allow you to stay in that state yeah for sure and interestingly i i, I talked to marilyn about her response she was on my podcast recently um Marilyn's yeah. Mary Lou, Mary Lou CV. And um, she was describing how NLP really kind of saved them both, saved her because she was able to get into that state and therefore save him in a way, because he was, they had just sort of set him up in a, opera, in a, a, a waiting room at the, at, the, at the intensive care, or at the, uh, I'm sorry, emergency room. He looked okay. So they said, okay, just sit him over there. Just old man, just sit him over there. And so she got on the phone and just like got in a good state and said that right. man needs to be, have a CT scan now. And so that, that's how they got the whole thing going. But she said throughout this whole process, she's really had to rely on NLP and being in that best state in order to be able to, to access those resources and, and get him the care that he needs. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the, one of the great gifts of NLP, you know, so, so again, I, I think it's that notion of state, state first um, before technique, because you could try again if you try techniques in a, in in the state that is not conducive to them, they don't work. You know? right. So that of course there are techniques that you can use to get into the state, but uh, you know again, I think it's a a kind of a first things first, and I think you know kind of going back to our our topic of sort of early days of NLP, um, I think that was always the, you know, the one of the realizations, and I think it's part of what Erickson brought into the whole mix, you know, the whole notion. I mean, he would, he would call it hypnosis, but you could call it state management. Hmm. You know? uh, so what is hypnosis? It's access to a certain kind of a state where you've got a connection to you know, um, uh, more than your cognitive mind, if you will. And okay. I think that was always a, 
I'm very, very interested in that. So how, how was, what, what happened? What was different when Erickson was introduced to, into the mix when, when Gregory Bateson said to Bandler and Grinder, you got to go, you know, study with this guy. Yeah, well, so I remember, um, you know, I, I got involved right, right before they started going down to see Erickson. So I got involved right when uh, they had written the structure of magic. Uh, you know, they had, hadn't been published yet. Um, and then it was published in this. Uh, so I, so my, you know, my history is I, I walked into a linguistics class. Um, I had uh, at my, in my previous, I was a junior uh, in, at the university, um, uh, University of California at Santa Cruz. I started there as an art major and then uh, switched over to physics and calculus. <laughs> so, and then my third year, I, I went into politics. I switched my major to politics and thought, well, I should. Very logical something. through line there. I can see, <laughs> see that. In a way, you know, in a way. So it was kind of like right brain, left brain. And <laughs> Back before. I didn't know about didn't, that research hadn't quite come out yet, but I was, I was, you know, finding that out. Well, I started missing my left brain and then, but then, um, and so I decided, well, I should learn something about linguistics and it, because I was interested in politics and my older brother was also a, a linguistics, like he was getting a master's in linguistics at Harvard at that time, he was kind of encouraging me to look into it. Hmm. So I walked into this beginning linguistics class with 200 other people. And there was, you know, John Grinder was the, was the professor. And uh, I remember like one of the first things he said is he said, well, you know, if you're taking this class because it's a requirement, come up and see me afterwards and I'll just sign off for you because I don't want you in this class if you're not interested. And I was kind of going, whoa, that's <laughs> How many non- people took him up on that, by the way? I'm just I curious. Know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone did, but I thought it was an interesting, it was, it was more that, you know, this attitude yeah. that. I like it. Uh, I'm not interested in, you know, this kind of bureaucratic stuff. I mean, that was a little bit of the times, the yeah, time sure. and place. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, then John also, of course, was, there's a guy who was a former Green Beret, ranked tennis player, you know, stuff like that. And so it was not like your typical college professor <laughs> at all. Mm. And um, so, and I remember he taught, I think it was like, I don't know, like the second day of class started teaching us stuff they were doing in uh, Structure of Magic. Right. And it was like, I was going like, whoa, you know, this is the first uh, actually practical stuff I've ever learned in school that I could actually go out and do something with. Um, and, uh, you know, so he essentially taught us most of the meta model patterns. And I think it was a Tuesday, Thursday class. That was the Thursday. And by following Tuesday, what I remember is, you know, coming back in, and probably half the class was looking pretty dejected, pretty, pretty down because they'd alienated their, you know, their friends, their parents, you know, by asking him all these questions, you know, right. love me, how specifically? You know? <laughs> how specifically do you want me? How specifically do you want me to pass the gravy? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I fortunately had, um, I had, uh, some natural rapport like mm-hmm. I, I i was i mirrored people from the time i was a kid you know I, right. I, we have home movies me like looking around mirroring my older brother and stuff uh-huh. so 
I didn't have that problem. Uh, it was actually because you uh, used it with rapport skills. You used yeah, and and they started and you know they 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 discovered yeah you have to include rapport pretty quickly. They started teaching that, and you know the also the so-called softening techniques. So instead of just saying you know well how specifically or, or according to whom you say I'm really curious to know how specifically or okay. uh, I'm wondering. So yeah, you yeah. soften it so it doesn't sound like it's the third degree. But to your question then, Back to my question. about Erickson and how yeah. that changed. So, you know, obviously in the beginning, it was it was language, 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 language. And I remember probably about halfway through that class, you know, it's a court, they were on a quarter system. So a couple of months or so later, because uh, they uh, had sent the manuscript of, um, Structure of magic debate then, and he said, "Wow, oh, you know, you guys, you're, you're looks like you're really onto something. You should go down and see this guy Erickson." So we sent him down there, and I remember they came and they when Grinder came back, the class he did after that, basically he said, "Everything you know is wrong." <laughs> you know <laughs> that we're, you know, it's the opposite of that. You know, because the Milton model was basically violated everything about the meta model. <laughs> And that's when they started incorporating more and more of the, you know, in fact, uh, of the hypnotic stuff. In fact, the first time I ever saw Bandler, John was doing this class and had Bandler come in and they were doing this induction on the whole class. And I remember like Bandler was in the back of the room, you know, in the back of this big, you know, uh, like uh, amphitheater sort of thing. Yeah. 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 A, you know, so he was talking at the same time, Grinder was talking in the front of the room and like putting all these 200 people into, into trance. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, wow. Was, I mean, and, and then those days, you know, it was kind of like, it was pretty, I mean, every, every new discovery was, you know, this is going to, you know, this will change the world. You know, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. that kind of attitude. It wasn't just like, oh, here's an interesting, here's an interesting little fact. You know, it was, this will change the world, and right. it was really that feeling of so, doing something. So just to 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 push you a little bit more towards the question I tried to ask at least is, um, so the, the the coach state thing. Did, where did going into, you know, being sure that you're in your own best coach type state before you do anything else? How did that come from Erickson? Because I thought, well, I, I think that's what I heard you say. I always start with a state, you know, okay. you're, you're, you can be, you know, he would move people from state to state. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you have, um, you know, they, they Bandler and Grinder started talking about uptime and downtime, right? Okay. So you have uptime is I'm totally in my sensory experience, etc. Downtime is I'm basically in a trance. That's uh, all the sensory channels are turned inward versus outward. And then you had um, so-called mixed state, where a mixed state would be I'm kind of partially here, and, and of course there was. In the, even in the Erickson work, there's different levels of trance. You know, you can be in a light trance, or medium trance, a deep trance, and each one 
has this kind of, um, you know, the filters are in slightly different, um, you know, different focuses and different states statuses. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, and and very early on, you know, we were starting to do a lot of the state management stuff. You know, so state uh, management and John, you know, was uh, really emphasized this notion of a state of excellence. And that's where you also had like the circle of excellence was anchoring to be able to get into that state. Okay. So is that one of the techniques that you would use then to change state before you do that's a yeah. change technique? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like circle it. of excellence. Nice. You no, know, because anchoring anchoring came fairly early on. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's also to me just kind of interesting. I didn't I I don't know if I knew if if I did, I forgot that John was a ranked tennis player. Um, yes. That's that's pretty impressive. Um, you got to be good, obviously, to be able to do that. Yeah. But plus, it's I would think, from my own athletic background, that um, <clears throat> if you're going to be good at something like that, you have to not be in your head. You have to not right. be like thinking and thinking. You have to be in uptime. You've got to have all of your sensory yeah. apparatus ready to go so i would think he'd be really good at that and you know he yeah he was and and he also you know uh, that was was early 70s you know around the same time as when uh, tim galway did the inner game of tennis yeah great book yeah uh, yeah and i think that whole notion that talk you know so inner game outer game you know so state you know if you're if you lose the inner game you're pretty guaranteed to lose the outer game you know Right. Uh, so you got to start with the inner game, and I think so. I think there was a lot of um, a lot of influences that that sort of you know brought that about or reinforced that that perception that you start with the state, and from there, then you can you know if if you're in the right again, if you're in the right state, anything works, you know. Uh, so yeah, interesting. Cool. Yeah. So um, how do you know what the right state is? Well, that's where you have these different, um, you know, the different qualities, like we were saying, you know, the coaches being centered, being open, being alert, being connected, mm -hmm. holding. And, you know, obviously, the, the way that you do that is by, you know, calibration. And, uh, of course, the tricky thing that happens with a lot of self calibration is, you know, uh, what happens as you start to go into a like a crash state. The more crash you are, the less you can calibrate, right? Yeah. Because you're, right, because so, you're it's like the person who's totally, you know, drunk and is going, no, "I'm fine. I can drive home. I'm yeah, perfectly yeah, yeah. capable." Or somebody who's mad, they're going, you know. Uh, don't say I'm mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not angry. So I have never said that ever in my life. It's never. I've never did that. I don't. I've read about people doing that. Yes, I've read about people never. doing that. But um, no, and so I think. So I think what then you. So of course, we we would put this kind of states. What we do with the coach and crash, right? Is you put it on uh, a calibrating scale of zero to ten. Mm -hmm. And what you realize is if you're kind of five or above, you can rely a lot on your own self-calibration, right? You can tell, wait a minute, I'm, I'm tense here. 
I can tell my voice is, you know, is my tone of voice is too high or it's too fast, my tempo is too fast. You start getting below five and you're not aware, your, your self calibration starts going out the window. Yeah. So then if you haven't still enough presence of mind, you would tell by having certain kinds of uh, physical things that you can do that you realize, okay, if, if I cannot, if I cannot do this, like a simple thing might be, can I balance on one leg? If I can't do that, I'm probably not very centered, let's say, or I'm probably mm. pretty much out of center. Uh, so it's a little bit like what it, what do the police do if they pull somebody over suspected of drunk driving? You know, you have a set of things like touch your nose, do this, do this, do this. So, so you could have, I mean, what I might do is to have my own little set of actions, which also become self anchors that help to both check the state and then, you know, get into it like, like a tote, you know, test operate test. So you're doing some kind of thing where you are using on the one hand, you know, your self, just inner self-awareness. And on the other hand, there can be kinds of activities that can let you know, you know, am I ready? Yeah, you know, if, think of any athlete um, when they are getting ready for a competition, right? They're going to go through, you know, you'll see them kind of going through these things where they're they're sure. in their, their uh, state tote, you might say, I've got, mm -hmm. I've got to bring myself into that state. So you might see moving parts of the body. Um, when I was coaching my son's baseball team as a coach, and he was a the his he, his teams were um, state ranked, and he was a I think he was a all county. I think his batting average was four sixty or something, which is wow. pretty good. Pretty good. But what I would teach him is okay when you're standing at the plate. You know, you, you, you know, that's, that's where you've got to really get into the state. So I would say, okay, you're going to, you know, like, you take your bat and you're going to touch the four corners of the plate and you're kind of going, you know, centered, open, alert, connected, ready. Okay. So now I, I'm not going to lift that bat until I'm in the state where I'm going to be able to, you know, uh, react and, and properly. Cool. So you can have little things like that, I think. So you, I guess the part of the answer would be, you know, practices, you know, that become habits so that you're not trying to have to figure it out. Uh, and that, how would I say, that actually these habits themselves are not state dependent, <laughs> meaning I'm going to do them to actually to get into that state or they help right. me to get into that state rather than I have to be in the state in order to remember to do it. That, that's sure. usually the problem, you know. Right, right, right. If I'm not in the state, I forget everything that I should. <laughs> I forget all about all the stuff that I know. Yeah, and that is that is that is a, the point right there. Really, is in a sense, you know, if I if I'm going to perform at on a on a concert, you know, it's like I have rituals that I go through before yeah. I play that put me in the state to be able to perform. If a batter is going up to a batter's box, he he or she knows they're going to do that yeah. and then there's a batter's box you know it's like stepping into the circle of excellence you're stepping into your yeah, exactly. you know, then exactly. the, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. if somebody's like being a dick in the bar <laughs> yeah. and sort of knocks you from behind you know and hits your arm and says hey what are yeah, you knocking your drink yeah <laughs> it's well like, 
how do you get into a good state there? Well, yeah, it's actually, you know, that's the whole thing. You know, I often will will um, share the example. One of my favorite examples of upstate and this notion of inner game is is the you know so called miracle on the Hudson with uh, Chesley Sullenberg. Mm, right? mm, yeah. So, so you know, taking off out of what was LaGuardia. Um, yeah at what critical point of takeoff there's a, a big you know on a, what they call a bird strike unexpected flock of geese flies in front of the plane so many are pulled into both engines they're shut down simultaneously so that that's a very interesting moment right if you wow. if you fail in the inner game at that moment you know if you crash inside you're going to crash outside yeah for sure so you know, he was able as you know he was able to stay in that state keep everybody else in that state you know, land the plane on the Hudson River, you know, everybody survives, you know, the miracle. And afterwards, they were asking him, you know, wow, you know, you seemed, you stayed so calm, weren't you afraid? And I thought his answer was great because he said, he said, are you crazy? I've never been more afraid in my life. <laughs> you know, that's stupid. I'm in an airplane with no engine, you know, I've never been more afraid in my life. And I've never been more calm in my life. Hmm. So now you think, well, that's interesting. How is that possible? Yeah. And then, you know, and so this is one of the things we say is that it fear does not necessarily mean crash, right? I can be afraid and and you just like I, I can be if I'm angry in a crash state, it's gonna come out as violence. If I'm angry in a coach state, it's gonna come out as maybe determination or courage. Mm. Hmm. Similarly, fear. If I'm afraid in a crash state, I'm going to panic. You know, if I'm afraid in a coach state, boom, I go into this, you know, hyper uptime state. You know, like a, a super state, and and then I'm I'm very capable. And and so what he so they said, well, how did you stay so calm even though you've never been more afraid in your life? And he gave several answers because I think this is and I'm getting I think this is answer to your question, right? So you something unexpected and unpleasant happens <laughs> that's dangerous. So um, his first answer was, you know, essentially practice. Uh, he said, you know, I've, I've never been in that particular situation before, but I've had a lot of, you know, as a professional, I have a lot of practice, you know, mm -hmm. how to, you know how to deal with that, how to manage. He didn't use the term manage my state, but that's essentially what he was saying. I remember he used a metaphor. He said something like, I had enough experience in my bank of experience that I could make a big withdrawal that day. <laughs> nice. But how do you put something in your bank? One of the things I like to say is that experience alone, experience alone is not enough to learn. You, you have to reflect. Um, mindfully on your experience in order to stick it in the bank you know that's like that's self-modeling right so so i think that's one thing the more that you practice right though you're getting it in the muscle we would say and then and, and then the second thing he said which i also thought was interesting and it relates to the neurological levels they said well also i was afraid for me you know for my life but i was also the captain you know i'm the i'm the captain of the play i'm the i'm the leader uh, I was calm for 200 other people, you know, yeah. so that, you know, that was, a, it was my mission to, to keep them safe, you know, and yeah. I think that's that interesting thing is you connect something bigger than yourself. Yeah. 
So it's not just about you. And the third thing he said, actually, we had said two other things. Third thing he said was what also helped that the crew was so calm and the passengers were calm. And when they asked the crew, well, why were you calm? They said, well, because the captain was calm and because the passengers stayed calm. And they asked the passengers, why were you calm? Well, the captain sure seemed calm and the crew was calm. So you create this field, you know, a resourceful field where, you know, we have mirror neurons. And so our state feeds other states. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing to realize that. So, so the, 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 the dickhead in the bar, right? If you're, if you pick up, if your mirror neurons are picking up them, right? You're yeah. going to be going, you talking to me, you talking to me, yeah. because now you've gotten into their field. For sure. You, what I was realizing in that case, I've got to flip that around. I've got to have my, you know, I've got to influence them with my mirror neurons rather cool. than escalate what was going on with them. So there, there is a thing that Gilligan and I called a, the, a second skin. Okay. A second skin is a kind of an, you know, it's not an armor. A lot of times when people try to put up an armor or a barrier or whatever, but a skin, a skin is interesting because it's, it's selective, but it's also receptive. You know what I mean? That, that, I'm not just disconnected. I can, it's like a, a filter where I can let some things in and some things out. So I kind of practice, you know, creating this kind of a second skin for those situations. By the way, the, the other thing that the, uh, that Sullenberger said, he didn't say it in any of the interviews, but he wrote about it in his book. Um, yeah, it was interesting because it was about the suicide of his father, which you might think, well, how could that be a resource? And and it was probably the most um, you know, devastating thing in his life. It's, I think his father committed suicide some years before. And he said, well, you know, what I did is, so we could say, like, instead of go just going into some crash state, said, I, I made the commitment to myself that I would never be a bystander, you know, that if I could do something to help others, I would do it. And he said, the suicide of my father was very present for me in those moments in the cockpit. And he said, and one of the reasons that I was so committed to saving all those people is be because I couldn't save my father. Mm -hmm. It's that interesting kind of Aikido where I turn, I'm going to turn the wound into a mission. And I, I find that in a lot of my work that somebody's mission, especially if it's a true mission, a felt mission is usually related to a wound somewhere in their life and that wound becomes healed by transforming it into a mission and that mission is usually service hmm. so I transform the personal wound into a service to to others is that is that true for you robert diltz sure of course yeah and you know there's big big and little wounds and uh i think that's something i learned early on I think, you know, if you look at Erickson, yeah, well, the, the healer, right? You know, you've got your, sure. rather than letting these things bring you down, you're, you're Aikido-ing them into a, into a, a resource. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, so part of the, one of the things I learned originally from Steve Gilligan, I think, is the both and kind of state being both right. part of something and apart from it at the same time. Right. And um, I remember I was listening to an uh, interview with Jack Lemon, 
I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was oh, wow. Jack Lemmon, who was talking about um, uh, the difference between the way he did, approached acting and, and what some people, the way that some people approached like method acting, where you just yes, kind of right. lose yourself completely, you become the character. And, and so they would right. never come out of character because they're just became the character. And, and right. he said, that's, that's not acting. He said, that's, that's, I don't know, some sort of form of schizophrenia, perhaps, but it's not. Yeah. So you said to be an actor, you've got to be both be, you know, the the part, the character that you're playing, but you also have to be back there as the actor. Right. Right. At yeah. the same time. So it's yeah. both. And it's yeah, you yeah. use the the metaphor of the uh, the you know Greek Greek theater. They had the masks that they yeah. were known as the persona, and they'd have little things. Right. So the actor would be behind the mask. So yeah. that's really kind of what it is. You're you're the actor behind the character. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I found some for me, a lot of times when I'm in a state, not necessarily like the state you described at, at a bar like that, but um, with clients that may be getting themselves, you know, into a state that I don't necessarily want to go with them to that state. Um, I can, right. I can match and mirror perhaps and be in a similar external state but back here i am right in my coach state yeah and right. able, able to be both at the same time yeah i think that's kind of like the the, the there's a i think a bit in there that's similar to the second skin idea right yeah. the second skin is kind of okay so that's my that's that's the me that's in the world yeah but i also have me that it's kind of like there's the outer game me and there's the inner game me yeah yeah and so the yeah. inner game me is here and i got so i can then put what i what is most um effective into that outer game me i don't have to put everything out there right and i don't have to let everything in there and that that sort of i i, I like to think of it not like I say not so much as an armor but maybe it's a bit like Iron Man or something, you know, it is a, yeah. it is a, you know, it's something that I can control or, you know, or I, I'm, I'm in charge of, but is yeah, not yeah. directly, you know, it's not everything that's there. I can let what, what needs to be let out, out and what is appropriate to let in, in. Mm -hmm. So I can stay present with somebody who's, let's say, in a, a big crash state, um, but I don't have to go into that crash state and right, I don't have right. to I don't have to you know disconnect either huh. so you can have what's it there's that interesting difference between they call it um empathy and compassion mm. that uh you know it's like empathy is is uh, you know what's it's sympathy empathy and compassion remember Brene Brown had this interesting thing about the difference between sympathy and empathy and then compassion where you know, sympathy is just kind of oh poor you right? there's there's no real feeling there empathy is oh i'm you know, i'm i feel it and compassion is that dual place mm -hmm. you know, nice compassion i feel with which doesn't mean i'm oh yeah, yeah good i like that that's great i love yeah. it when language does that sort of thing for us it's like oh yeah. that's why that's like that yeah well that's interesting yeah. too because we know that we we both have a a passion for sleight of mouth and i was thinking about of course the the whole beginnings of sleight of mouth were, are related to richard bandler because you were asking about those yeah. I, I mean i, oh, I tell us that story please 
Well, that was an interesting, so it was an interesting time. It was in the early 80s. And uh, was around the time when uh, Richard and Leslie were sort of separating. So I don't, Richard was not in his most um, happiest times, let's say. But I remember we were in Washington, D.C. And, and there was, interestingly, there was a guy that he was doing some demo with who was breaking up from his girlfriend or wanting to break up from his girlfriend. And I think, I think there was a sort of a, some kind of resonance there. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. opposite, you know, kind of near, near way. And so for, he was, he was trying to um, kind of convince this guy that he wouldn't have to necessarily leave his girlfriend. But everything he would say, this guy would come back with something, you know, some sleight of mouth, like, well, but, you know, well, you know, you know, why don't you know, if you feel this way, why don't you tell her that that's the way you're, because it was like this thing where he says, I know she doesn't care about me because, um, you know, when I feel this way, you know, she doesn't ever do anything, you know, something like that. And yeah. Mandler said, well, do you tell her that you're feeling that way? Well, no, of course not. <laughs> what? what? But why do you how do you expect her to do something? Well, I mean, if I told her, then she could manipulate me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, and then it's like found out. Well, has, has there ever been times that she's done that? Well, yes, of course that she's done that. But well, then what is that? Well, but you know, I've been keeping score. You know, <laughs> she's more times this way. So it was like this whole thing was you know yes, but yes, but yes, but. And so what happened is that um, then while Bandler was doing this demo with this guy who kept you know sleight of mouthing everything that Bandler tried to do uh he was on the stage and I remember that what happened was the part of the stage you know it was like one of the stages that's on legs mm -hmm. in, a, in a hotel and one of the legs when Bandler walked to one side one of the legs buckled and he kind of almost fell and some guy came and set it back up again and then it happened again where the, the, the thing fell and, and the guy was going to put it back up again. And Bandler started to go into this whole, um, uh, you know, and acted like we were just talking about parent, paranoid delusion. Like, so where he was, you know, here and putting on this paranoid delusion where he's saying, hey, look, this guy's out to get me. Obviously, you all saw this, you know, because he was kind of playing on what this client had been saying about his girlfriend see this guy is he wants to hurt me you saw him he did it you know he did it twice he, he was trying to lure me out there he wants to kill me you know you've got to help me and so he's getting he's saying this to the whole audience you've got to help me just like the guy was saying to Bandler you know I'm I'm having this problem my girlfriend helped me but then everything Bandler tried to do to help him it would get slide of mouth mm. so he started engaging people in the audience and of course anything they said he would start to sleight of mouth. So somebody says, well, you know, ask him his positive intention. Oh, that's easy for you to say, ask him his positive intention. You're sitting over there. He's not out to get you, you know, he's gonna hurt me. And someone would say, well, okay, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll sit over here next to him and make sure he doesn't uh, get you. You know, it's like, oh yeah, well, if he doesn't get me now, he's gonna just even think of worse stuff, you know? You know, oh yeah, that's gonna help a lot. You know, wait till you, are you gonna stay with them the whole day? You know, what are you gonna what is gonna happen later? So you know, he would change frame size or mm -hmm. counter example, and 
I was sitting and remember, you know, no matter what he would do, you know, he, he would, oh, oh, and, and what, somebody else would, somebody said something, um, he started doing this whole thing where he'd say, oh, you know, uh, that person has glasses and he's wearing glasses too. So you're both out to get me. <laughs> so like, because you're both wearing glasses and he's just building up more and more of this paranoid thing and more and more of the audience was against him, you know, as, as, as it went on. And finally he's going, you know, can't somebody help me? And the person raises their hand and says, well, can I get you some chicken soup? <laughs> but so what happened? Another out, another outcome was born. Yeah, another outcome. <laughs> I, I, um, but I started realizing, oh wow, you know, I could actually, I could, I could do what he was doing. You know, there was uh -huh. a pattern. I could start to anticipate and say, oh yeah, I could do the same thing with somebody, uh, so that it wasn't coming from. You know, it's an interesting thing about acting, right? It's not just coming because it's only part of that state. It's like, oh, I can. There's a pattern here that is reproducible, mm -hmm. and that's why I started uh, getting the idea for sleight of mouth. And then, of course, uh, having read other, uh, you know, the whole idea of pe people who have changed the world with language, you know, whether it's Gandhi or Martin Luther King or uh, Plato or genius, uh, other uh, Jesus and you know, other people, yeah. and kind of starting to realize, oh yeah there's these these patterns that where where language can be really used in this um you know magical way like you were just saying oh yeah this word versus this word actually it's it's not just semantics it it creates real in a new realizations it's influencing your map of the world it's not just it's not just playing games with words these words are actually making distinctions and things in the map of the world that can create you know in some cases quite profound change yeah now is it is it true that um after those early experiences that bandler continued doing that sort of test with the audience in other trainings after that so you saw other examples of yeah he would do that he did that i think i think he still does it to this day <laughs> <laughs> i mean but i i I think from it for different purposes. I mean, I think as I was saying, that was kind of when the, his whole relationship with Leslie was right, right, right. You know, collapsing. And after that, you know, I'm sure, I mean, I think that's Bandler just does a lot of sleight of mouth. I mean, it's one of his areas of genius. Right, right. And so it's your modeling and sense of of him, who perhaps arguably started modeling, you know, invented modeling. Perhaps one might. I don't think I invented. I mean, Bender <laughs> were modeling. They were modeling Erickson and modeling. Yeah. I mean, so you you modeled the modelers. Is what yeah. I'm yeah. So it's kind of meta. Well, there's meta modeling. <laughs> <laughs> Man, meta modeling. How about that? There's another word that makes sense. Wow. Cool. And um, how did you come up with like the the icon representation chart? The the map. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's. It was like just try, trying to find a way to represent things, uh, you know. You know, first of all, around the '80s, icons for computers were first coming out, right? Um, yeah. So having an icon that represents a concept 
was something that was in the field, if you will. And having been, you know, remember I said I started off as an art major and mm -hmm. yeah. done different types of graphic design. And I thought, well, what would be a kind of symbolic way of representing this deeper structure of this language pattern? So it was so the icon was also kind of trying to show deeper structure and relationship that you can't not do that. It's like you can do things visually that are not, or I don't know that you can't do them verbally, but they're certainly not as easy to do verbally, which is show in a single image, you know, how things interrelate. Yeah. I think it's I think it's brilliant. I, I really do, and I often make up reasons why you shaped certain things in a certain way. And I have no idea if that's really why you did it or not, but it makes good sense to me. That's and, right. <laughs> thing. That's, that's like that's like poetry, right? It's like whatever <laughs> sense that you make of it, that's the most important. But then I tell people this is this is why it's this way. So well, but okay. <laughs> why was there? I'd say yes. <laughs> because I'm absolutely. right. Because he's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why you would say that. Absolutely. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, that's funny. But uh, but it, yeah, and, and it's also interesting that I have sometimes thought of different sleight of mouth patterns that aren't in your fourteen. And um, I'm yes, sure. You know, I I think you know any type of model is a model, right? It's 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 a it's a map, not a territory. And there's right. many you know, there's many things in that territory. And, you know, some sleight of mouth patterns clearly overlap as well, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there, so there's, it's not like, I think it's like any map, right, that, that you're making a demarcation here in the map that doesn't mean it's in the territory. But just like we were saying about sympathy, empathy, compassion, it's, it's getting, giving you some uh insight into something you get yeah. another perspective you get a, a richer understanding so i'm sure there's many um and it's like with presuppositions of nlp uh i tend to think you know there are certain fundamental ones how would i say it's it's a bit like um since i was a didn't did a major in calculus and physics for a year you know, you have fundamental premises and then you have, you know, um, extrapolations from that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have a first distinction and then that distinction makes other sub-distinctions, which are make sub-distinctions. Yeah. So, and I see this with some people have like these lists of, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you know, hundreds of NLP presuppositions. Say, well, yeah, actually you, you can derive those from this one, you know, so it's like going deeper, deep structure, certain yeah. structure. Yeah, I think yeah. you could do the same thing with sleight of mouth patterns, right? That there's different sort of levels of derivations of language where you can play with, you know, different words because words themselves are not all on the same level, right? They, right. You know, um, saying, saying green and saying you know compassion you're not you're talking about yeah, yeah. Two different parts of experience for sure so i think tell me tell me about um something that i teach in sleight of mouth that i didn't actually not learn from you um <laughs> but i teach it anyway because Okay. I'm right. Okay. <laughs> so I'm right. Once again, um, and that is um, basically the agreement frame. I don't know if you know even 
what I mean by that, but I agree with you and, or, you know, it's a yes and a yes, I appreciate, yeah. mm -hmm. I appreciate, I respect. And um, so that's the, you know, a keto approach, right? Yes, and this way. Um, Which is different than yes, but. Right, exactly. So how, I, I like how, how right am I that that's important? I'm just. <laughs> well, I think because it's, it's pacing and leading. I mean, I think all slide of mouth needs to be done, and that's the Aikido right, Aikido aspect. I've got to pace and then lead. Right. If I, if, as soon as you start tr trying to just lead, you're going to get pushback, or right. you know, you're going to get some kind of um, resistance. So, you know, and I think it's framing. Uh, so I, uh, one of my ways of my, one of my introductions, I'm actually actually just designing uh, a, uh, a slide of mouth training that I'm doing in February. And um, uh, you know, one of the things I use to introduce it is how, again, how a word, single word can sort of shift your whole perspective. So I'll, I'll say something like, um, it's, you know, it's sunny today, but it's going to rain tomorrow. And so what happens when you use but, the, the, the rain tomorrow is the thing that comes into the foreground. Mm -hmm. If you say, it's sunny today and it's going to rain tomorrow. Now, neither is foregrounded, right? You kind of have both. And if you say, well, you know, it's sunny today, even though it's going to rain tomorrow, well, then the sunny is going to probably stay in the foreground. So you can say the difference between but and even though it's going to shift the, how you're holding these two experiences. And I think that's what I'm getting with, with what you're calling the agreement frame is that, or agreement, I mean, it's a frame. It's, it's hold, it's how you got to hold what you're doing. Um, and, and it's, it's the way of, how do I say, it's, it's what you're, it's, it's the frame around what you're doing with the slide of mouth. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that frame and you're just slide of mouthing, well, then it's kind of like meta model. You could meta model forever. That's why, you know, Bandler and Grinder started coming up with the outcome frame. So you're not just meta modeling. I'm not just asking a thousand questions. I'm trying to get towards an outcome frame. I'm trying to get towards some kind of a, uh, you know, a result. So I think these frames are really important in terms of being able to do, do anything skillfully uh, yeah. to use it properly. I think if you're in a disagreement frame with somebody, you basically sleight of mouth is, is, you know, fodder for fighting and, you know, yeah. uh, divisiveness, which is how it's used, you know, in politics for the most part. Yeah, but, yeah, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And it's, it's, uh, we agree and, <laughs> I do, gosh darn it, I'm right and I'm glad you agree with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this has been the essential coaching skills podcast thank you for being here it's a pleasure seeing you again hope to see you again real soon come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the essential coaching skills podcast and if you want to you can find out more about us each and every one of us at essentialcoachingskills.com thanks thanks